Well, good morning. Glad to hear you're awake because we're talking about hot topics. Um, as you know, as you've probably been here, if you've been here the last few weeks, well, all the cultural topics we've been talking about so far have been in the realm of sexuality. So today we get to begin that transition. Now, if we were a sitcom or a marketing firm, we could stay on that theme for a long time to come, and no one would question that. But we're not. We're going to move on, and we're going to move to a new topic in the cultural realm, and that topic is environmentalism. And I can tell by how far you shifted into your seats under the edge of the seat just now when I said that, um, that you're really, really uh, excited about this. Okay, and... I, and all right, true confession. Like when I was, I happened to be in the Soma offices one day, and then Randy just said, Hey, would you want to do the environmentalism piece? I'm like, Well, I don't know. It might be the safest. It may be not. We'll find out. But I, I agreed to do that. But I really feel like it's indeed an exercise in that wisdom song of blind leading the blind. And you're going you're gonna to come to understand that as I go through. Let me show you the mess that, that we're in. Like, first of all, let's just start talking about. What do we mean by uh, environmentalism? So whenever you're talking about a hot topic and you're trying to figure out what is it we're even talking about, I think those times are a decent place to start at Wikipedia. All right, so uh, <laughs> environmentalism or environmental rights, a broad, and that's the understatement here, philosophy, ideology, ideology and social movement regarding concerns for environmental protection, improvement of the health of the environment, you can skip down the next paragraph. At its crux, environmentalism is an attempt, that's also an understatement, to balance relations between humans and the various natural systems on which they depend in such a way that all components are accorded a proper degree of sustainability. All right, so in other words, it's impossible, right? That's what, when we read that, we read that it's impossible. But nonetheless, people want to talk about it and if we were to look at a history, and there's all, all kind of histories and timelines of environmentalism all the way back to ancient days, um, even there's American versions of this, like we think about some of our heroes even that we know about, John Muir around here we know of, and some of his uh, contributions. But in recent history, when you start really thinking about who's, who's been firing the conversation, look at the next slide, you'll see... Um, you've seen this one, The Inconvenient Truth, and Al Gore, and maybe you saw this documentary a few years ago, or when you were looking at the, I, I watched the TED follow-up talk when, when Al Gore was talking a little bit about kind of the things that he's been learning, and, and some of his honest frustrations about how, how much people don't want to talk about this. And at that time, he had even talked about how presidential candidates were asked maybe two questions per network about the environment at that time that he was putting out that TED talk. And this is frustrating for him that people, people that may have authority to talk about it won't. And then other people will talk about it. So for example, in the recent, recent news in the last this summer, if we look at the next slide, you'll see someone has talked about it that's been a little bit surprising to everybody. So the Pope put out uh, what's called a, a cyclical encyclical. And uh, one of the things he said is, it is our profound conviction that the future of the human family depends also on how we safeguard the gift of creation that our creator has entrusted to us. So he came out talking a little bit about um, you know, global warming and some of these subject matters, which is a little unusual uh, in the political realm for, for people traditionally on the right of politics to come out and make some, some affirmations of statements that have been traditionally on the left. And some of the critics said Pope Francis should stick to religion, not politics, is what some, some people are saying about his response there. 
But it, they're not the only ones that are confused in politics, right and left, and who's talking about it. When we look at the news stories, I mean, here's an example on the next slide of uh, what Andy's saying. All right, this week we saw this Hurricane Patricia coming in, and I mean, it was, it was at some points talked about the, the worst hurricane in, you know, in the history of, of nature. You see one headline that says, with global warming, Patricia, exactly the kind of terrifying storm to expect, right? Get used to this, is what it's saying. And then three other headlines on the Google search here. Think El Nino and climate change. It's not just climate change causing a hurricane. There's El Nino factors too. NPR, though, coming up and saying, why Hurricane Patricia can't be blamed on climate change, all right? So NPR has that, that story there. And then the Washington Post, why record-breaking hurricanes are like, like Patricia are expected on a warmer planet. So as Andy said, we've got all these voices telling us how to, what we need to believe, even about these hurricanes that are rolling through. So when we talk about blind leading the blind, I mean, that's exactly where I am. So even if we looked into, inside the Christian realm, we get completely different schools of thought. Like, look at this one thing. This next slide here is within the Christian realm and that is resisting the green dragon, all right? A biblical response to one of the greatest deceptions of our day. So in other words, there are people in the Christian movement that would say some things that we would agree with in some subjects, but they're also saying that this whole environmentalism thing is just, is just a, a thing that we don't need to... It's a deception, is what they're, they're calling it. And then compare that to another group uh, in Christianity that's putting out on the next slide the Green Bible, all right? So in the Green Bible, it's made of uh, earth-friendly materials, by the way, so that's a starter, and actually is the Green Letter Edition. So you've, you've, some of you grew up with Red Letter Editions. There's a Green Letter in the text so that if passages of Scripture talk about the environment or our care for the world, they're actually highlighted in, in its green text and not the black text. So, and, and looking through this, I mean, there's some really quality resources in this, but it just shows even in the realm of Christianity, we're all over the place on, on how to feel about this. So I, I come up here, the blind leading the blind. In fact, I think, I think Randy and Abe probably looked at each other and said, I got nothing, you got anything? Go, I got nothing. All right, let's just go get Andy. Um, <laughs> so, um, but there is a voice out there. If we look at, the, well, I'll tell you, here's how confused we are. This is my brother-in-law's tweet from a few years ago that I appreciated. Um, you've seen this if you've ever been in the Portland airport or anywhere in the Northwest. And the tweet at the bottom just says, Dear Portland, I just wanted to throw something away and now my brain hurts, right? <laughs> and, and that's how we feel when we try to, try to grasp this subject. Like, what are we supposed to do about it? How are we supposed to feel about it? But there is one voice out there. And maybe you saw this. I think I saw this during the Seahawks game. Here he is, uh, the voice of Matthew McConaughey. Um, I, I don't know if you saw this Lincoln commercial that just came out this week, but he says, it's not about hugging trees. It's not about being wasteful either. You just got to find that balance, all right? And we can't really read the bottom there, but in, in that balance, here's what he says is the balance. He says, it's we're taking care of yourself takes more, takes care of more than just yourself, that's the sweet spot. He says the sweet spot is when you're taking care of yourself, and while doing that, it takes care of something a little bit more than that. To which, I mean, that, that sounds good. All right, all right, all right. That sounds good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> There's just one major problem with it, and that is that's, who's going to hold this to that sweet spot? Is it going to be the automakers? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so... So we can even see that here's, there's major, major problems in who's going to hold us to the sweet spot. And look at the next slide. You see Volkswagen was in the news. And here's the, here's the real problem. 
Volkswagen exemplifies the problem for all of us. And that is, who among us is not willing to not only do what's best, but then kind of cover up when we don't do what's best, and even worse, be completely okay with making ourselves look like someone who really, really cares. Right? And whether you're talking about the environment or our reputation, we are all a lot like Volkswagen. We just haven't been caught yet. Right? But the headline, any headline that you've read about Volkswagen in recent, in recent weeks could easily have said, just like Andy Johnson, Volkswagen has, has been deceiving and lying and covering up their true activities and reputation. Right? So it's really interesting to see these are the problems. Now, I only have one point today, and that is nobody's going to fix this mess except the one hero, and that, and that is Jesus. Okay? And then we're going to talk a little bit about God's plan for that, and we're going to talk a little bit about what we're supposed to do about it right now, kind of in this place of, of in-between waiting for that plan, and how are we supposed to respond to it. Let me show you one more slide here, and that is uh, this storyline, Creation, Fall, Redemption, and Restoration. And if, if you've been around SOMA very long and been through any uh, training, you've, you've seen this storyline, and that is all stories point to the story, and that is God created, man sinned, that's the fall. God redeems through Jesus and then restores in redemption, both a, a new heaven and a new earth. So what I'd like to do is just open up the scripture for a few moments and just go through one theme of this storyline and to see what God is up to in, in environmentalism. Now, before we do that, just think through the various schools of thought in environmentalism. Feel free to kind of like think about maybe when you think of the classic environmentalists, like in a full-blown stereotype, what do you think of in the creation, fall, uh, redemption, and restoration? And creation is usually you know, kind of a science-based thing. That uh, there's evolution, the earth just came into being, and we are born of the earth, so to speak. And then the fall is, we, I guess you could say we've evolved past you know, our point of really need, and now we're actually uh, exploiting the earth, and we are the, we're the problem. But what's interesting in that, in that same school of thought is we're also the redemption, right? So it's that, it's that finding that sweet spot is uh, the Lincoln car maker is saying, is now it's our responsibility. We blew it, so now we also need to fix it. But the only thing about us fixing those behaviors and temp- temporary fixes is that that doesn't address the issue of the human heart. The human heart is going to be the thing that continues in that cycle of fall and redemption. So in this storyline, we're going to be stuck in that fall and redemption over and over and over again. Because no matter how great the sweet spot is that someone might develop, no matter how great the science is that we might get to renewable energy, or whatever that is, there's going to be another Hitler that comes along and takes that and uses it for something else besides living in that sweet spot. Because we can't calculate for the human heart. And then restoration, again, kind of in this storyline, is what if we finally got to a place where we could all live on renewable energy and we could just, you know, kind of rest in that, what we, like we read in Wikipedia there, that perfect sustainability balance, right? That, that desired sweet spot that we'll call it. It's, it's not going to happen in that storyline. So what is the storyline in Scripture? When we look at creation, and this, this is a, I, I found something that was really intriguing to me. 
in this storyline is you're going to see three characters kind of show up in this storyline as we look through the biblical version of it. And the three characters are going to be God, humanity, but also trees, <laughs> um, which is kind of interesting. So we could kind of use trees as a symbol of the resources that God has provided for us. It's like, it's the things he's given us to help us survive and do the things. When you even think about the beauty of trees, we're going to see, you know, we know about photosynthesis and oxygen and how important they are uh, to us as humans and for the planet. Um, we also know that trees, you know, are, they provide shelter. And in the very beginning, we see that trees are a source of food. So in many aspects, you could say that the tree is going to show up as the picture of God's resources, his loving, kind resources to humanity for our own like, survival and creativity and to, to build. and to, It's going to be beautiful. Now, let's take a look. Genesis chapter 2. And this isn't going to take us a real long time. We're just going to go through these four points, talk about how we should respond to them, and then we'll move, we'll move forward. Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed, the human, specifically Adam here. And out of the ground God made the spring, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to, to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So you can see here the three characters at the very beginning in creation. God planted a garden. See, God is green, so to speak, loves the environment, planted a garden, put a gardener in the garden, and then brought trees up all around for both beauty and for food. And then you know, later we even see creativity that we, could use, that we can take the tree and use it for. And we'll see exploitation. So uh, look at Genesis uh, verse 15. I don't know if this is on the slide or not, but if you skip down to 15, if you're looking in your Bible, it's verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. The Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So he's saying, here's all the resources I'm providing you. This resource is not for you. This is not a resource. This actually brings death. So we see in, in creation, God created, God supplied, God even gave direction. Look at verse, or chapter 3 in Genesis. When, when the serpent comes to Eve, the conversation goes like this. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? There's a question about how to use these resources already. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said... You shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So in other words, that's as good a resource as any other thing. It has its thing, It's going to help you. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and there's just this piece of beauty that shows up in God's creation here, and these resources he's provided, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves. They used the resources around them to hide. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden already, beginning to misuse the resources. We're going to now use them to hide from God. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord said, and then that's environmental blame became that right there, right? That's the beginning of environmental blame. It wasn't my fault. It's someone else's. Have you noticed in that, in that whole structure, rarely do people say, I'm the one to blame. It's this company. I'm, my, I'm the owner of this company, and this is the company at fault. It's always someone out there, we, some, it's a, a generic fix out there. Um, and he says, Who, the Lord said to the woman, what is it you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So from the beginning, the fall is not just about a disobedience to God, but it's about a misuse of resources that begins a, a trickle-down effect of more misuse of resources. Now, just a side note, as we think about the depths of the fall, um, look over in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 26 to 29. The prophet speaking to the people of Israel, and he says something just really interesting that caught my attention in, in, this, in, in this subject. I mean, these are harsh words to the people of Israel here. As a thief is shamed when caught, so the house of Israel shall be shamed. Right? So we think about Volkswagen in this situation. Like, shamed, right? They, their kings, their officials, their, pri- their priests, and their prophets, these are the people of God, who say to a tree, you are my father. And to a stone, you gave me birth. Right? So this is just another version of calling the creation the creator. Like just mixing up the creation is not, it's, they're calling it the creator. Especially when you think of the earth being a stone or a rock that's floating out in space. When you think of it that way. Um, and to a stone you gave me birth. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. So God says, they, while they have turned their back to me, they haven't turned their face. But in the time of their trouble they say, oh, arise and save us. Like just enough to say, oh, by the way, now we're pretty desperate. Could you come and save us? But where are your gods that you made for yourself, he asks. Let them arise if they can save you in your time of trouble. For as many as your cities as are your gods. So you have as many gods as you do cities, O Judah. Why do you contend with me? You have all transgressed against me, declares the Lord. And that's the depth of the fall. Like when we look at the storyline of how, how bad have we misused the resources, that's what we're saying. We're actually not even calling them resources anymore. In some ways, we're calling them God. Like they're so important to us that they are what we worship. So look over in Deuteronomy 21-22, because this is a really interesting uh, passage that mentions a tree in the Old Testament. And this is a hint toward uh, re- the redemption as we move into the redemption part. So we see creation, we see fall, as we move into redemption, Deuteronomy 21 says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and Deuteronomy just means second law, so this is Moses just reminding the people about the law to show who God is. Um, and you hang him on a tree. So if someone is hung on a tree for, for crime and he's put to death, 
His body shall not remain on that, on, all night on that tree, but you shall bury him in the same day. For a man, a hanged man, is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So this little, this little nugget here in the law that mentions something about someone hanging on a tree is cursed by God and that to leave him there is a defilement to the land. We'll turn over in the New Testament and we'll see this unpacked in a couple different places. 1 Peter chapter 2. We see two, um, two references to this old Deuteronomy passage that really highlight the redemption. What is God going to do in this story to restore the relationship of God, humanity, and the resources that God has given humanity? How is he going to restore that? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Uh, leading up to it, I'll read a few verses before. Um, talking about Jesus. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Right? This one is not one that can, can be shamed for his sin, for hiding or covering up or misusing resources. But when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So in other words... Now, Fraser, die to sin and live to righteousness is really capturing that heart change that is impossible in all our human environmental fixes. Is that heart change, that where Jesus comes in and changes our heart to say, you were, what is the word? You were living in sin. You were, and now you're going to die to sin and live to righteousness. And that is the piece of redemption it's not necessarily just the redemption of the land that is, that is needed. It's a redemption of the human heart. Because, again, no matter what system we come up with, we're not going to be able to put in a perfect human heart to run that system. However, Jesus is changing the heart because he bore our sins, our inability, our brokenness, our inability to carry out that plan. In his body, his death and resurrection on a tree, which is just a beautiful picture that he is nailing himself to our resources that we've misused. And then that is the, that is the picture that Peter paints for us. Acts chapter 5, the, the, uh, in verse 30, the disciples, the apostles, they mention this to the leaders in the day. One little phrase, when they're, they're getting in trouble for preaching the name of Jesus in public, they get together and they'll tell that they say to the leaders, We're get, we have to speak the name of Jesus. It's more important for us to obey God than men. Since the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed you, by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior. Right? When you think about those two words, leader and savior, that's exactly what is needed in an environmental movement. Right? Someone to lead the change and to save us from like breaking it based on our broken heart. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. So again, two things there that he's providing in the death and resurrection of Jesus is repentance. It stirs our heart to say, I'm sorry. I confess. I've taken those resources. I've misused them. I've made them for my own name, for my own glory. And that's what we're doing with the resources. And to find forgiveness for those. And we are witnesses to these things, he says. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. 
And so you see even that beautiful picture there, this repentance, a forgiveness, and now the Spirit of God who now allows us to actually obey, including using resources rightly that God has given us. So we see this is the redemption piece of it. And it's all about the hero Jesus, not any of our great plans that are doomed to fail because of the, the problem of the, of the messed up heart. Jesus doesn't have that, and he restores ours if we confess and, and find his forgiveness. But then let's look at the redemption piece. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1 to 3. So the last chapter of the, of the Bible it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. So this is a vision John has. And he's, he's seeing the future here. Um, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruits, 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Right? That, remember the, the Wikipedia hope of perfect sustainability? There's where it's possible. Right? That is where it's possible. Flowing from the throne of God, the river, the trees sustained by God, and the river that's sustained by coming from the throne of God, God and the Lamb, yielding fruit. Right? Nothing accursed anymore related to this tree. Healing of the nations from this tree. And servants there that, that worship him. Which is a really interesting word, servants. I wish we had time to really dig into the, the calling of humanity to serve the Lord's creation. Even the word conserve it, you know, is, it calls this idea serve with. Right? This is what we're, when we're called to conserve, we're called to serve with. So where are we right now in this storyline? When we see the whole creation, fall, uh, redemption, and restoration, right? We're right in the middle of that redemption and restoration piece. Where we know the redemption has happened because of Jesus, but yet still in some ways not able to fully live out what God is going to complete. Right? So that puts us right in the middle of Romans chapter 8. And I just want to read this passage to you because here... All the headlines, all those problems, all the things we're talking about. Here's another way to describe them. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, the world is crying out, will somebody please just take care of me? Will somebody please show the concern that is needed here, yearning for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So basically, in other words, God is the one that has put creation in this place, waiting, yearning. Why would he do that? It says, um, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And as we've developed more and more technology in recent decades, even more so. 
Creation is groaning. And then it says here, with the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. Right? Do you feel that? That sense of something's still not right in me. I know Jesus paid for my sins, but I want to experience it in its fullness. And it says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So in other words, we're the movie trailer of what God's doing. Right? We're the picture of redemption, even in our still brokenness. We're the picture of what God's doing. In other words, if I can change because of the Spirit of God now living in me, that is a picture of what he's going to do in all of creation. Colossians, Paul calls us a new creation. Who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we still groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Right? So while this is all going on, God's calling us, be patient. I'm going to finish what I started in you and creation. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't even know what to pray for as we ought. We don't even know how. Where do we start with trying to solve this? Like, do I just need to distribute my trash and recycling? Is that all I need to do? Just need to stop throwing away plastic bottles in the trash? I don't even know what to do, what to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Right? He who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Right? So what's going on in us the story of redemption is what he's also doing in creation. There is a major problem out there. So what do we do about it while we wait in that place? While we groan, should we just wait? Should we just wait and groan and just say, okay, Lord, come on, hurry, hurry, hurry. Or should we do something about it? I have just three or four practical takeaways for us as we, as we end our time. First of all, I'll say three or four because these two are kind of together. Confession and worship. There's a really interesting uh, story on This American Life about what Volkswagen should do from now. Like, how do you restore this? And they've, they've called back to um, when Jack in the Box had their tragic uh, you know, deaths from E. coli. What did they do to go and market to make their name a little bit better? And just even thinking about what, is, what does Volkswagen do as a brand? Well, everyone agrees that one of the main things you need to do is kind of involving exposure and confession. Right? This... Let's put it out there. Here's what really happened. Here's why it, ne- it should never happen again. So confession, we'll agree, is the place to start. Where, where do we need to confess to say, yes, look what I have done with these resources, both as a, an individual, as a family, as a body, as a city, as a country who uses more resources than anyone else in the world, and like relatively speaking. Like, where do we begin to confess and then when we that, that find that forgiveness and repentance in Jesus, it should move us to worship. So the thing about Volkswagen is, where is it going to move them? Not to say, we blew it, but their next step is going to be, and we're going to do our best not to blow it again. right? That they'll try harder, do better. That is not where confession takes us, though. Our, the confession takes us to say, and that's why I'm thankful for Jesus, who's, living perf- who's lived perfectly, is going to restore perfectly. Everything that I blew and messed up, he's going to fix. And he's, he's changing me, too, in the whole process. So it should lead us to confession and worship. Now, there's a fear. One of the fears in religious circles is that if we em- embrace environmental issues and movements, that will lead to worship. Of the wrong things is what the fear is. Well, it should lead to worship. 
but of our Creator. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I love all the songs we're singing today. Um, open up Psalms. You're going to see creation is praising, is praising its maker. So confession and worship. Two is how we have conversations. Um, with that storyline, like creation, fall, redemption, and rest, and our, uh, redemption and restoration, it's really tempting uh, it, to begin the storylines in the areas where we disagree with people in the subject of environmentalism. And like one of the classic mistakes is beginning the conversation on how we disagree about creation. But what do we agree on? And that is the fall in the storylines is caused by humanity. Right? So whether you believe or not that global warming is a real issue, that doesn't matter as much whether you believe it. I think at least we need to say, yeah, it's that bad, and even worse. It's way worse than that. Like, look how bad we're going to blow this. Like, this is just the start of how bad it's going to be because we know the human heart, and it's going to get a lot, lot worse, right? So instead of saying, well, it's not really that bad, that's really a Volkswagen-type move. And I think we should go the other direction and start that conversation to say, it, it may be that bad. Okay, science says it's that bad. The evidence you're showing me says it's that bad. I'm going to agree with that. I'm going to tell you it's a lot worse than that, too. If I was in charge, it would be even worse, right? Um, so that's the conversation, how, how we come to it. We shouldn't say a, a no but. We should find places to say yes and this. So that way maybe we can have the other conversations, too, about the redemption and the restoration. And, and then maybe we'll get back to creation. But let's, let's point toward Jesus being the answer after we agree on man being the problem. Um, third is just activities of conservation and restoration, right? You are a new creation in Jesus. I am a new creation in Jesus. And we don't say this about our sanctification to say, well, God's changed me, but I'll just wait and uh, live that holy life later as a son or a daughter. I'll just do whatever I want now and just let him finish. And, and if you are saying that attitude, then don't. Like, may the Spirit convict you and, and, and stir you. But uh, we should not take that same argument to creation. And there are, there are schools of thought that says, um, if you think man's messed up the world, wait to see what God does with it when he burns it up, right? And just wait for that moment and let's not even care. But I would say let's treat it the same way as we do our sanctification. Let's engage in activities of conservation and restoration. And that's part of the reason why we do sacred space. Um, but let's be people of sacred space in our homes, in our workplaces. Let's make the place around us beautiful for the sake of restoration and painting pictures of the gospel. Let's dare to have uh, like a care for, for the issues of creation and conservation, not because we think we're going to fix the problem, but because we know who is and we want to paint a picture of that. Right? And that's what we need to be about. So let's help each other and encourage each other in those activities. And I could list tons and you could list tons. For crying out loud, we're Northwesterners. We know how to do this a little bit, right? So there, there's organizations out there. And I'm just, I want to say I'm really grateful that Randy last week put himself out on the line and like went out there and grew himself by hanging out at the Rainbow Center. And I think that is maybe what we need to do in the areas of environmentalism too. I know you wouldn't be nearly as pressed if I told you I hung out at the Tacoma Recycling Center this week. Um, so I didn't bother. Um, but it should, we should find ways, because our neighbors want to do this. And we, these are great ways to jump in there and, and with them and do these things, even if we're motivated slightly differently. All right? Let's stand together. Randy, come on up. Yeah, let me pray. God.
I want to be the first to confess. There's, there's ways I've messed up this environment that I don't even realize yet. Um, there's ways that I've harmed my, my body and my family. And my cellar is embarrassing, Lord. And I just, I, th- I look at all the things in life that are under my realm and how I've blown it. And I want to say thank you for your forgiveness in Jesus. And I, I ask for a, a changed heart in me. I pray that you would stir in me a care. And I pray that for all of us, that we would begin to confess. We'd look to you as the, the great provider of our resources. That we would not misuse our resources, but, but remember that they're gifts from you and worship you. We love you. Thank you so much to the great hero of planet Earth, Jesus. We thank you for him. In his name we pray. Amen.